Good evening, godless sodomites. All right. Um, welcome to the excommunication station. I am your host, Chaz. I am joined by Christine Donovan. How are you guys today? I feel like eight pounds of owl shit, but I'm yeah. all right. Just yeah. a bunch of pellets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, didn't yeah. you guys ever have to dissect those in at school? No, I went to I Christian school and we had frogs. That's, that was it. more messed up. <laughs> yeah. We had to do fetal pigs and frogs and an owl uh, owl mm. shit. Like mm. uh, very strange. Nice. I remember the owl one for sure. <sighs> but I'm good. Um, how are you, Chaz? <laughs> I'm alright. I'm just I'm I'm getting over being sick too. So the, if you hear me cough, I'm sorry. I'm trying to do it away from the mic, but uh but yeah. Uh we are your hip new youth pastors and oh my god. Okay. Underneath the cross Christ <laughs> has sprung a leak. Oh my and the what Jews the that have been trapped have now become my friends. Cause I'm living all the faith. And the drippings from communion. I literally have no idea what's it's going on. It's okay right now. to eat fish. Cause you're not a godless vegan. Jesus Christ is the way. Ooh. Oh, that's it. Uh, weekly, we do a deep dive in the weird, the wild, and the wicked that you experience from growing up in the church. I'm giving and you a standing ovation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I thought of that at work the other day. Um, and That's uh, great. Uh, <laughs> now I just see Jesus with eyeliner. I wonder if I'm doing any good in this city. <laughs> Where is he? Um, um, and uh, this is the Inquisition. It's a rather lame one today, but uh, I just found out Easter was coming up because I completely forgot about it. Do you guys Same have anything Easter. planned? What's coming up? Easter. Oh, shit. I thought it was Easter baskets. Yep, these are, this is the exact same conversation we had here recently. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, spoiler yeah. alert, no, I don't have anything planned. Mm, our entire, they started digging in our backyard for the pool. And so oh, nice. my entire job right now is keeping my kids out of the hole. You should like go into the hole and like put a fake skeleton with like a, like a little you know, sash on and be like, it's Jesus. Happy Easter. We found his body. <laughs> my kid would love um, that. Like he is obsessed with skeletons. Yeah. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah, I, he is. He's really, he's really neat. I plan on burying one of my children in the backyard and on Friday and see if they can arise by uh by Sunday. So. And if it doesn't work the first time, just start yelling Lazarus come forth. Hey, For your uh, sins. hold on real sick. I just got a call CPS. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, see see Chaz, we gotta keep these these conversations between us because people outside our bubble just don't get it, man. Yeah, I know. They don't get my humor. It's okay. Um Oh, I get it. I get it, but I'm just a fucking mandated reporter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Right now, we need to do the most important thing, and that is to pray. So, 
hold the hand of the person next to you and bow your head. And if you're driving, let Jesus take the wheel. I know that one day Jesus Christ is going to return and I'm going to meet him in the air. Do you know what my biggest fear is? That I might turn over my shoulder as I'm going to meet Christ, look you in the face and have you tell me, Cliff, we played ball together. We talked and you didn't have the guts to tell me that this is the way human history was going to end. And to think that I might have to respond, well, you know, I didn't want to be considered a religious nutcase. I didn't want to be considered a fanatic. So I just played it cool. No, friends, that would be hypocrisy for me. The return of Jesus Christ necessitates you and me who know Christ telling everybody we possibly can that he is the truth, the way, the way through death out the other side to eternal life. And yes, ma'am, yes, sir, he will be returning one day. Today is the day we've all been waiting for, and I hope everyone is ready to not even talk about the Left Behind series today, um, <laughs> which was the original Let's talk intent. about the shithead authors. Yeah, um, <laughs> until I started digging in about today's subject, the author, author and the brains behind the Left Behind series, Timothy Francis LaHaye, did eat... Did either of you guys know anything about Timothy LaHaye before this? Nothing. Hell no. And okay. his wife is a piece of Yeah. Fuck. I was, Donovan, I don't think you were on the call yet, uh, but I was saying I think she should have her own episode. Truly, I do. She is. Yeah. I, I, yeah, when he sent me the thing about the, the amendment he wanted me to read, I just branched off slightly and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, I think we might have to do a series about women in the church. That'd yeah, be a good idea. Like, um, no, that came off weird, but like, like famous women, because like quite honestly, there's yeah, there's not a lot of them compared mm-hmm. to the men. Um, and uh, if they're out there, they're just as disgusting and gross as some of these men. Um, so yeah, yeah. strap in. And then, yeah, yeah. Um, so Timothy Francis LaHaye was born on April 27th, 1926 in Detroit, Michigan. He was a newsie during the Great Depression, like old Spot Collins or Jack Cowboy Kelly for my newsies fans out there. Um, <laughs> his father died when he was just 10 years old. That's a old. deep cut. That is yeah. a deep cut, dude. I fucking love that movie. I know all the yeah, words to too. it. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't believe you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Santa Fe, are you there? Uh, This is when the good Lord works in mysterious ways. At the funeral of his father, the pastor told the totally non-impressionable and vulnerable LaHaye, this is not the end of Frank LaHaye because he has accepted Jesus Christ. The day will come when the Lord will shout from the heavens and descend and the dead in Christ will rise first and they'll be caught up together to meet him in the air. 
I think, um, isn't that also the exact same passage that Ed Gein read over and over? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to meet you, mother. Yep. <laughs> Just let me put on your skin. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> interesting parallels. <laughs> hey, one person writes and the other one uses a knife. What's the difference? Well, um, he uses his own type of canvas. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, art our, our is art, people. Uh, right. This this really <laughs> is a story about a man who was absent of fatherly love and decided to hurt as many people as he could with his anger. But anyway, before <laughs> enlisting in the military in 1944, he went to night school and Bible school. But he joined oh, the Air Force ass. and sir, sir, what's that? I said, oh shit, a badass. Yeah, uh, he joined the Air <laughs> Force and served as a gunner and a bomber which is uh, aye, no, aye, aye. yeah, no doubt an extremely stressful and traumatic position. Uh, not that any combat position wasn't just placing that little seed when it comes to someone's vision of the world, but uh, right. I, can, I can just assume that's a very uh, uh, stressful position when you're up in the air and you know, people are shooting at you and you're in, by yourself in this little <laughs> container. I don't know. You assume? You assume? Well, you know, in the words of the great late Michael Clark Duncan, when you assume you make an ass out of yourself. And me. You and me. <laughs> That's from the Slammin' Salmon, bro. He only says it that one way. <laughs> uh, after LaHaye Le- came home uh, from World War II, he did a lot like other veterans did, and he went to college. Uh, he went to the liberal bastion of Bob Jones University. Uh, <sighs> he got... He, of course, he didn't go to school with any uh, African American people. So um, he got his BA from BJU. Uh, he got his doctors of ministry from Western Seminary. While at BJU, he met his wife, Beverly Jean Ratcliffe. They decided to respect BJ's rule. I know you're laughing because of BJU. Um, BJ's BJU rule. It's, listen, I was going to make some kind of dirty joke about. Uh, blowjob university and how she caught her man but i didn't get it out and that's okay because yeah, um yeah. here we are there's, there's more coming up um <laughs> i also love that her initials are the exact same <laughs> bj yeah wow i did not see that beverly jean bj university <laughs> hey, i'm batman <laughs> world's greatest detective <laughs> they decided to respect the bju rule of no touching the opposite sex and staying six inches away from your partner. Mm. Uh, being that his dick was only three inches, it was probably pretty easy. They were married Hey-o. in 1947. Uh, they maybe fucked for the first time in 1951, but I have no confirmation of that. Um, really the, quick, were you guys ever told the six inch rule growing up? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was more like a YouTube thing, like six inches or like uh, a yeah, hand for Jesus. Yeah. 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 I remember with this price. tiny, I had a tiny little teacher. She was like four foot 10. She used to walk around uh, school during like break and lunch with mm-hmm. a Bible and she would like smack you with it if you were too close to somebody of the opposite sex. Nice. Oh, yeah. It was really. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Quite a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. My, <laughs> my one private school, we weren't allowed to sit with the girls, play uh like we did recess or whatever we weren't allowed to be with them no lunch with the girls everything was separate uh so yeah interesting um 
probably didn't affect me and how I able to not interact with other people. Um, but no, definitely, definitely doesn't leave lasting scars. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the couple moved to San Diego in 1958. Now, California was not the liberal cesspool it is today. It was an absolute breeding ground for white supremacy, conservative thought and the future of our present church. Mm-hmm. Going, going back a few episodes that has been uh california has been linked to the jesus people so far uh the pentecostal movement um both coming from southern california something else was growing in southern california a small Me. society i grew up there you might be part of the story i am definitely <laughs> wait a minute the calls from coming from inside the house. <laughs> it's it's it is weird having grown up in in Southern California, like right right near San Diego, right near Orange County. Mm-hmm. How different things are now versus yeah. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, yeah. yeah. I I think a lot of the right wingers just kind of got the fuck out of Dodge and went to they, Texas. They all ran to Orange County for a while, yeah. and now yeah. they're all going to Texas. Yeah. Wow, the great migration. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, A small society in Southern California, a small society of wealthy, ultra right wing conservative people were pushing their agenda across the country. And that group was called the John Birch Society. But before we open that fucking box, I said I've never heard of any Christian doing that. (laughs) Uh, We need to go back a little further than the John Birch Society. And I'm really sorry for this quasi history lesson. But it all's it, it strat just wait, it's all going to come together. Um, but uh, the Russian Revolution that brought communism into the world, well, it scared the ever loving shit out of the business class and the wealthy of not just the world, but especially in the United States. They had been fighting against uh, back against labor uh, for decades now. Riots and massacres were filling the headlines everywhere, and government wasn't helping the situation by continuously sliding and uh, siding with business and making terrible decisions and sinking the country further into recession. A lot of these immigrants were coming over with some weird ideas, also political ideas that they did not like. Uh, it's not our lane, but uh, our history books, public and private, did a terrible job purposely omitting and ignoring much of this bloody and important part of our past um a lot of the time if you go to history you jump from uh the civil war right into the like the turn of the century when there was a big gap in between there that was very important so but um Mm -hmm. continuing uh communism and socialism were a real threat to the ruling class uh, but they were on a collision course with it anyway a lot of experts uh, that I was reading and listening to believe that we could have had a legitimate socialist and or fascist uprising in this country if a few things wouldn't have happened. Uh, the Great Depression had sunk the country in dis- into despair and uncertainty. President Franklin Roosevelt needed to do something drastic to change the path the nation was on. And Roosevelt came up with the New Deal. You guys studied the New Deal at all in school? Yeah. Just briefly, I didn't realize or... there was going to be a test. <laughs> <laughs> um, think of the New Deal as Obamacare. Uh, it could be seen as either a bridge, stopgap, or to some, the solution to the problem, but also seen as a violation of God's given right for humans to decide to be whether, whether they want to be poor or not, 
to live or die based on their own decisions of God's timing, to allow God to, to work with the free market to, for us to be free. Where are God's rights? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to help the poor or anything because that's you, you're not giving them the choice to be poor. Um, this is like if, uh, if the movie Harvey was all about him just fighting for the Harvey's rights. That's what that this is all about. <laughs> Along with this and expanding worker rights and establishment of some good to great ideas and pseudo-socialist programs, uh, that would be the stopgap or whoever you want to view it. Um, it's kind of a mixed bag of how you want to deal to view the new, new deal. Um, the heads of industry got together in 1895 to help fight the panic, the financial panic of 1893, uh, which caused an economic depression until 1897. They formed the National Alliance of Manufacturers, or NAM. They saw organized labor, socialism, government intervention, regulation, and anyone trying to stop them from making their next penny as their enemy. As you should. Yes. Uh, Behind the Bastards did a great episode on the NAM. Um, I'm going to go through some of it. It was funny because as they were doing their episode, I was reading some of the papers that they were reading from. So I was just like, oh, wow. This is like going on at the same time that I'm doing this. Uh, but um, another made a, uh, major event that prevented this possible collision was, of course, World War II. World War II brought the country out of the Depression and also brought, some, some brought home an economic boom that made the middle class of this country. It put the NAM in a very bad position because we, we were now fighting, along, fighting side by side with communism in Russia. Uh, we were doing business with them to prevent the Nazis and Japanese from taking over the world. Also, don't get it twisted. This country was filled with people who were either Nazis or Nazi sympathizers before the, and during the war. Um, I'm sure some of the members of the NAM had some less positive things toward less positive. Sorry. The NAM had some positive feelings towards the Third Reich. Um, There's never been any Nazis in America. (laughs) Never. Yeah, totally ignore that uh, Nazi get-together at Madison Square Garden before World War II. What are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) What? Uh, (laughs) The Cold War gave NAM their first legitimate chance to push back against progressive policies, worker rights, and big government. These were all slippery slopes into communism, that was spreading all over the globe, but there's only so far that the boogeyman of communists can get you. The fight doesn't just have to be for the country, but for your soul. One of the major issues the NAM had was making inroads to the growing middle class of America. After decades of doing everything they could to separate themselves from the working class, they now needed to make allies. Not just they just needed to push back from the general public, but also they had to push back from the obvious and blatant attempt of money changing and the Pharisees making their way through the doors again by the social gospel clergy. They were calling this out this whole time. Um, within NAM, the two separate but equal damaging influences that have destroyed any type of liberal Christianity, our social safety nets, our sanity, Um, caused just about every culture war that we've been raging since the 50s. But they both fused Timothy LaHaye into the monster that most of his people don't know ever existed. 
the first influence delicious soup yes um (laughs) the first the first influence was led by two men actually of the nam uh i forgot his fucking name dupont uh oh wait never dupont executive jasper crane and sun oil ceo j howard pew also you remember might know his name from pew research um saw that the real way to make those inroads was by mixing God in the free market. They both saw that socialism, including the New Deal, was linked to just about every ill of society, and the only cure was God in unfettered capitalism. Your very soul's destination is determined on if you believe in capitalism or socialism. Everything good from God to sucking on a chili dog outside the tasty freeze is because of capitalism. Nice. And now I want a chili dog. <laughs> I want to suck on one, and I've never yeah, wanted to. Some John Cougar <laughs> Mellencamp. Um, <laughs> they found their pawn, I'm, I mean partner, in two pastors. The first being Reverend James Feifold. Feifold uh, had taken an L.A. church that was in debt to the equivalent of $13 million dollars and got them into the black within seven years by Holy making shit. by making a mail order course called College of Life with 14 professors from California. He also hit the airwaves and eventually his church became a mega church with the biggest congregation in the country and also some of the wealthiest and most influential people, not just in South, Southern California, but in the entire country. Wow. He he preached a version of what I would label as prosperity gospel. I would compare him to maybe Joel Osteen. Wow. Pew and Crane wanted to use this, his PR ability, along with his already established message of quote unquote Christian libertarianism. They funded Fifefield spiritual mobilization. Crane said in a letter, they, the spiritual mobilization, had simply stood for liberty of man as a son of God, created a free, free being in the image of God. Now the incessance of liberty as a fundamental principle for making for mankind may be termed controversial because it is a revolutionary concept, but so is Christianity. Liberty is being attacked and called lots of things, which it is not by fellow travelers or even by many who lack understanding of the truth and indulge in idolatry of the state of pagan philosophy. Oh boy. Unquote. I'm going to keep using buzzwords and label things to make you believe what I believe. This is not new. (laughs) Well, it's new back then. It's not, it's, um, yeah, it's not new to us today. Um, (laughs) Right. Now the spiritual mobilization had their own views on society, which would match Pew, Crane, and the NAM. Edward Opitz, an employee of spiritual mobilization, said, basic to your thought in this area is the concept of vast majorities who cannot take care of themselves. They are too foolish, too weak, too gullible. You and a few rules for thee and not for me. (laughs) You and a few others who really care feel the need to scurry around and get government to force somebody else to do something for these poor folk. Poor folk. Tolstoy made an observation that bears directly on your little crusade. He said, 
People will do everything for the poor except get off their backs. This is the job for government in libertarian thought to destroy partisanism. I'm sorry, by people. Partisanism? Yeah, by pulling people off the victim's back. For this, we need a strong government, strong enough to do this job. End quote. That doesn't even make any sense. No, these guys. I thought libertarians were for little government. Yes, they are. He's he's saying that the only way that we can be free in this country is if you pull the government off the people's back. He's miss. He's he's totally misinterpreting Tolstoy, but he's he's saying that pulling the government off of people's back is the only way that they're going to be truly saved, because then they'll have free will, free choice, and so will the so will the market. Yeah, isn't he basically saying like we have too much government assistance and stuff as well? Like, yeah. There's too much of that going on, and the, the only way to get the government to be smaller and get off of these people so they can be more prosperity, prosper, to prosper better, <laughs> is to get rid of a, to make a smaller little Christian government. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you can't pay people to stay home. They got to get back to work. Fuck mm-hmm. a pandemic. Um, so, uh, in 1947... Just when, th- just when you think you can't be more disappointed by people... Yeah, you hear it like this, and you're like, "Really?" And it's even more disappointing that there's people sitting there listening to it, not going, "Really?" (laughs) Because Jesus would have hated social safety nets. Oh, absolutely! He didn't have any in the Bible. There was none. Yeah, Uh, you're on your own. Tables in the temple. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He he made everybody. He made everybody do a drug test before he uh, gave them that free bread and fish. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, when he walked into the temple, one of the one of the little stalls said accepts EBT and they start flipping shit. <laughs> Bitcoin accepted here. What? I'm wondering where I can find that. Um, in, 19... <laughs> in 1947, they conspired for their most shameless effort yet. They sponsored themed sermons. If you preached on the oh. subject of the perils of freedom, which was the title of the sermon, which is supposed to be slanted towards capitalism. Um, the perils of freedom would absolutely be uh, any type of social safety net or helping anyone out. You could win just... prize money of $5,000. Oh my God. They were expecting 12,000 entries and they got more than 25,000. Oh my God. That represented 15% of the clergy in the country, of all the clergy in the country. 15%. This is so crazy that like this is this is fucking nuts, man. <laughs> it really makes you wonder how many of our sermons were bought and sold. Right, exactly. This was this was only done to make to get a check. Oh because God, you know it's so not the first scary. it's not it's not the last time that happened. Right, and it it this seems this seems this seems to have gone off without a hitch, so it's probably not the first either. It's just the first one we really know about. Um I wouldn't say without a hitch. Uh, they did run into some blowback, um, oh, okay. and a lot of people gotcha. kind of saw through it. But good, that's what we're going to get happens. into and how we got <laughs> Tim LaHaye. Um, they also tried to push voting efforts from the pulpit, but it didn't have the same response. The idea of politicking from the pulpit wasn't exactly a welcome idea yet. As the years went on, the relationship soured between Fifield and the two other uh, between Pew and Crane. 
Uh, he was making terrible investments with sponsors' money and loans. Do you, I just that makes the, like the people in the audience when he starts to like say maybe we should vote for this guy. The one guy in the fucking congregation is just like, hey man, how about a little bit more subtlety with the you know? I I don't like this so head on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I could. Cooler's heads prevailed, or more, I don't know, rational people, uh, or people that saw politics as dirty, right, and wanted to keep they it in the church. Yeah. So, but this yeah. didn't stop Pew from finding his second pawn. I, again, sorry, I mean partner in this, the great Reverend Billy Graham. Oh boy. Graham had a really sta- episode on him. Oh, every time I go into something, his fucking name keeps coming up. And like I always I thought he was this like good, you know, no high moral person that could handle liberal gospel with, you know, and that type of thinking with like kid gloves. Like he was very I don't know. I always found him as more reasonable than a lot of more his palatable and shit too. I think it that just goes to show too. Like every time that we think that that's the case, we are so wrong, and it's so upsetting. <laughs> uh, Graham had already established himself as a mover and a shaker uh, within the evangelical community. By the time uh, he made his deal with Pew and his friends, uh, but he was friends with the president, President Dwight E. D. Eisenhower. Um, Graham said of Pew in 1956, "God has given me the ear of millions." He has given to you large sums of money. It seems to me that if we can put these two gifts of God together, we should reach the world with the message of Christ. And that is one of those quotes that is so fucking out there, but we've heard so many times on like TBN and shit where we're just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God has blessed you with all this money. I can't fly on commercial. There's demons yeah. on there. <laughs> Never mind all the people that you've crushed along the way to get to that money. Um, yeah. uh, but they would work together to publish one of the biggest Christian publications of all time, Christianity Today, which is still in publication today. Um, it's a lot more liberal than it used to be. Uh, I've been looking up articles using it uh, here and there, and uh, yeah, I, I read it still. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's wow. not it's not terrible. Um, gives you for, a, like for a, what it is. Into, yeah, it gives you like a look into what it you what you used to look at. Like, yeah, okay, I can see it a little bit still. <laughs> Um, Pew learned uh, from his past mistakes because Graham wasn't a money hound like Fifield, and he realized that he had to work from the back. From he was he realized that he had to work from the background, and didn't want his name associated with the magazine or funding Graham's ministry because of the negative blowback that he had gotten with the NAM and Fifield. So he was a secret partner with a massive fortune and a less than stellar view on the world and the role of Christianity in society. <laughs> that sounds super cool. <laughs> and not like dark money or anything. Um, right. Also, I'm just going to be over here. Don't yeah. Look Don't look you, just tell me, you just tell me what you need. And uh, I was reading stuff about things that Pew wanted in Christianity Today and, and Graham kind of stonewalled him and you know tried to get him to be more rational with things or not to be so overt with you know the language um mm-hmm. so uh but uh also as we learned wow. from the Hal Lindsay episode most of Graham's books were ghost written 
Right. The biggest pastor of all time was propped up by dark money and possibly didn't write most of his own work. Oh man. Essentially they were the new he was the new kids on the block of the pulpit. Wait a minute. What the fuck are you telling me about new kids on the block right now? No. That's a whole other story for another day. Oh man. Oh, man. Do not <laughs> disparage. I can't take losing two from musical new kids idols on the in block. One week. I don't care if they didn't write their own stuff. Those men are literal saints. Chrissy, he's gonna try to fucking tell us Millie Vanilli next. Next. Um, oh, side note: Did you know uh, that Millie Vanilli was my first concert? No, I did not. Wow, you yeah, heathen! When I was in, I, yeah, when I was in kindergarten, my mom took what? me to a Millie Vanilli show. Blame That's it on the she, rain. Yeah, yeah. She, my mom, awesome. though she married two white men, uh, really liked black guys. So <laughs> she really liked Millie Vanilli. One time I uh, won a trip to Bermuda yeah. on a game show. And so I took her with me. And she, like the whole Gloss time she was that. just shame, shamelessly, shamelessly flirting with every dude there. I was like, mom, you've got to put it back in your pants, dude. <laughs> she had to get a Can jaw we... replacement when she got back. Yeah. It was on the Seriously, ground the game show you dragging. won. <laughs> oh, let's make a deal with Wayne Brady. What the oh, fuck really? are we not talking about that for? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I won, a, I won the big deal of the day. Uh, and you met I Wayne was, Brady. That's the bigger yeah, thing. I even I even got to hug him, dude. Wow. Rich people smell so good. Uh, he I smells he like smells money. So oh, yeah. my God. That's but not, not, yeah, not dirty money. Like, you're not going to take a dollar no, bill and it's not going to smell like Wayne Brady. I, I wanted no. to, like, just snuggle on in. But then I had to go up on the stage and get my car. So, nice. There was that. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> Drove that thing straight to Carmax and sold it. Oh, very cool. I would have done the same thing. Probably. What was it? Mm-hmm. A Kia. Some kind. Oh, okay. I think it was a Kia Forte. It was a nice enough car, but I had yeah. a car, so hey, free money. This is, what um, I wow. What I didn't have was the sixteen thousand dollars that I sold the car for. Wow. Anyway, back. Well, that was a nice little intermission. Right. What an interlude. That was <laughs> that was great. So uh so that was the first influence on uh on Tim LaHaye. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Um me too. Holy shit. So yeah, taking a deep breath. Uh the second I'm influence, jealous. Yeah. Uh the second influence came from another NAM member who was a former candy manufacturer, Robert Welch Jr. Dean Coral. Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The candy man. Uh, uh, Yeah, another psychopath candy man. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, in 1958, he took all he learned from the NAM, including all his contacts and networking, and started his own advocacy group called, and I use that term in quotations, (laughs) the John Birch Society. Now, I'm not going to go into the mess of what the John Birch Society is, but for our purposes, uh, it's important to know that they were an anti-communist, free market, extreme right-wing conservative group. Uh, Again, Behind the Bastards did another great series on this, I think like two years ago, three years ago. Um, It was very good. I went back and listened to it again before doing this episode. Um, Robert Welch helped... (laughs) Robert Welch help push his one-man agenda with conspiracy theories about a godless communist plot always lurking in the background 
waiting to destroy the good white Christians of the world. No, I was going to say that for some reason, when, when I was reading this, when you sent this to me, it made me think of that one weird ass episode of Boy Meets World where they thought that fucking Corey was like a spy and he was like having this weird ass fever dream where he thought he was a communist. Do you remember that? No, I don't. That was so fucking weird. I don't know why that made me think of this, but it did. And I really wanted to point that out. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> another weird interlude. Uh, without the NAM, without Robert Welch and John Birch Society, we wouldn't have Tim LaHaye or Left Behind. And life would probably be a hell of a lot sweeter. I wouldn't be so the... scared of loud noises and yeah. glitter stuff. Mm-hmm. I was a folded clothes. Yeah. <laughs> To quote the paper, uh, this is a paper that I, that I cited, um, God, Country, and Christian Conservative, the, the National Association of Manufacturing, the John Birch Society, and the Rise of the Christian Right by Carmen Celestini. Long title, title, but very good. Quote, <laughs> I argue that Tim LaHaye and the moral majority arose as a successful conservative Christian movement using four lessons learned from the John Birch Society. One, framing culture war issues through an apocalyptic lens. Two, motivating conservatives to save God, country, and family from a nebulous enemy. Three, developing and maintaining an organized structure oriented to distill the message. And four, selecting and promoting political candidates, end quote. So as far as the JBS was, it missed its mark when it came to making inroads to the church, mainly because of the extremist views. Labeling Dwight, I, labeling Dwight Eisenhower as a godless communist wasn't going to make you very popular. Mm. Unlike today, where you can just say Joe Biden's a socialist and everybody's like, <laughs> right. I'm uh, like, yeah. I wish he was a socialist. You know? yeah. <laughs> I need to forgive my fucking student loans. Yeah, right. I I, I, I wish like he was a bad thing. Yeah, I wish he was half as socialist as you claim he is. Um, mm-hmm. Right, right. It's funny that that's still shouted like it's a bad thing. That cracks me up so bad. Like it, the response, the usual response is in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> the conspiracy world of the JBS uh, centered around communism. That the communist goal was to take Eastern Europe. The next goal was to take over Asia. And by the early 60s, the Cold War was proving this to be right, or by their view anyway. The next portion of the conspiracy was that the communists were trying to encircle the United States and infiltrate systems, organizations, and institutions in order to make this takeover happen. It sounds like I'm parodying a lot of today's rhetoric. So they've just always been bug nuts, haven't they? Yeah, it's all it's it, you'll see the um, the language change over time from communist to other things. Um, yeah, right here. Uh, yeah. Now, take the thinking, replace communism and geographical locations with whatever demonized group and how they want to encircle and take over whatever you love. Um, it's very easy to do. Um, Alex right. Jones is a huge fan of the JBS, and I believe his father was part of it, but I could be wrong. Makes a lot of sense. So, side note, some of the founding members of the JBS were Fred Koch, father of the Koch brothers. You definitely said that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then uh, 
Revelio P. Oliver, who was actually kicked out of the society, society for being too extreme in his views on race. Wow. Oliver claimed that Welch was merely the nominal head of the Birch business, which he operated under the supervision of a committee of Jews. Wow. You also left out the fact that he was a really good magician and they never gave him his credit because his name's Revelio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oliver was also inspired and worked with William Luther Pierce to write what is described as the white nationalist Bible, The Turner Diaries. That oh book inspired many acts of violence, including the assassination of Allen Berg, which we talked about in the John David Brown episode, and the Oklahoma City bombing. Again, we talked about that one as well. Mm-hmm. Have you it's ever also, read it? Yeah, the Turner Diaries? I've read portions of it, but I, I just I don't have the time or the it's very badly written. Um, oh boy, is it did ever. you read it? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, after they talked about it on last podcast, I was like, okay, it can't be yeah. that bad. Yeah, it is. It's that bad. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah, thankfully, that was one of the one times I was like, I'll, I'll listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> it also inspired the 1999 London nail bombings, among other tons of other bullshit that the right wing does. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, to put the JBS into something that we can relate to, the Tea Party is, not to, is directly influenced and also astroturfed by the Koch brothers and the JBS. So, so is getting rid of ending the Fed and taxation is theft and all their coded racist bullshit. It all comes from one source. This is the type of pool that we're dealing with. Just a slime pit filled with racism, greed, fascism, anger, conspiracy theories, bigotry, and more. I know I've stressed it, I know I haven't stressed it enough, but the conspiracy aspect is huge to this. Right. And we are going to go go there on this journey. Um, one part it's... of big. No, I was going to say when you put it in the like when you, you're just putting it into the words like that and you're just saying all that shit out loud. It's just one of those things where it's just a big sigh of relief when you hear it because it's just exhausting, but also just like confirming because you're like, yeah, this is fucking. Yeah, you we like this. Right, I and mean, this is shit we've known and we've seen in, in practice growing up. We didn't know where it stemmed from and shit, but finding out's great, but also putting it out into the world like, hey, you guys need to pay attention to this shit. This is just really, yeah, it's exhausting, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one part of big business making bedfellows with Christianity, one part conspiracy laced with political activism, and out of that pool comes Timothy LaHaye. When old Tim moved to San Diego in 1958, he got right into bed with Robert Welch and the John Birch Society. LaHaye would serve as a spiritual leader for the group, as well as a speaker at JBS workshops. A number of JBS members were members of LaHaye's megachurch, and LaHaye had personally baptized them. Hmm. While in San Diego, LaHaye became a pastor of a megachurch, Shadow Mountain Community Church. It's named something else today, but I don't really give a fuck. Uh, Metals fuck. Yeah, uh, they claim to bring in ten thousand people a week. Um, he was the head pastor there until nineteen eighty one. Wow. So that's just the start of his career as a uh, pastor. Now, before we go, um, just to start off, not his whole career. Um, before we go into the next part, how are you guys feeling so far? Really disgusted. 
Yeah, same. Same, same, same. <laughs> About to get disgusted some more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the ball got dropped in 54. I hate you. <laughs> black, black and white kids separated no more. Civil rights is on the rise. Whites got mad and kids got pulled out of their godless public schools and put into private Christian and Catholic schools. <laughs> so 1954. Do, what, do you guys like know what happened magical. in 1954? Uh, uh, what is it? Not, yes. not, yeah, se- yeah. not yeah. segregation, the opposite of that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Brown versus the Board of Edu- Education, uh, integration of the schools. Yeah. <sighs> the government. Yeah, that's hate- the word. <laughs> my, brain kept saying, my brain kept saying miscegenation, and I was like, that is not <laughs> the right word, guys. It means the same thing, but think of the correct one. <laughs> Because I just watched I Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and at the end, when the guy's like, "They are miscegenators, they are mis- they have a, a black fella playing the guitar, <laughs> miscegenators." Very good. I'm glad that, that you pulled uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou quote out. Nice. Uh, that is amazing. I can't believe the I government put that together. That that's what he was fucking singing about. Miscegenation. Um, yeah. The government hands were off the God-given rights of every white parent to indoctrinate and abuse their children to hate anyone different from themselves. Since they weren't publicly funded, they could do and teach whatever they wanted, just as long as Boy, that tax exempt school. Yep. Just as long as that's tax exempt tax exempt status doesn't get fucked with. But again, also, guys, did you guys know that? The ball got dropped in 62. <laughs> they wouldn't let Get us force this. children to pray in school. Oh, yeah. What was her name? The atheist I lady. I got know, murdered. That a couple days ago, too. <sighs> I don't know. I forget off the top of my head. I remember the meltdown my dad had when he walked into my principal's office and there was an, a sign of the fucking Pledge of Allegiance, but under God was omitted in it. Oh, my Lord. Was that from before the 1950s? No. When that was added into that whole thing? Nope. Didn't know yeah. that either. No. Oh, well. Wow. It, it might have been just an old poster. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Right. And then he's like, what is this new liberal bullshit? <laughs> yeah. This was from sir, before. That's... This is vintage. This is from Madeline Murray O'Hare. <laughs> that was the lady. Okay. Would you just call me, you liberal <laughs> piece of shit? <laughs> Miscegenator. <laughs> yeah that was added uh, into uh the pledge of allegiance back in the 1950s as I'm part of as part of all this um the, that's so crazy i didn't know that either there's a big I'd backlash for them not mm-hmm. being able to force kids to pray yeah but which also, is part of why we're forced to do the pledge of allegiance um uh also it was a fight against communism because communism is godless I was actually going to ask you if we could do that as a as an Inquisition question one day of if you guys were asked to go pray at school because your parents were pissed that you weren't forced to. Wait, we didn't do the Inquisition today. Yeah, we did. I, yeah, we did. It was, about, it was about Easter. Yeah, if we had oh. plans. <laughs> it was stupid just because it came up in my mind when I was writing it and my head was too full of all this bullshit to come up with an intellectual question. Well, you're fine. <laughs> that was a good question because it, it reminded me that it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I really want I really wanted to fucking talk about the conspiracy theory and bullshit in that song, that Petra song again, just because it, since we did the that uh that, that Petra episode, Carmen song. Yeah, it's been like <laughs> it's been on my mind of how much that is indoctrination, like how much it reflects all of this shit. Um, I, I wiped my mind clean of it when we talked about it. And now that we're talking about it again, I'm like, eh, make it stop. <laughs> but in 1962, the case of Engel versus Vital made it illegal for public schools to recite a morning, morning prayer, even if it is non-denominational. Well, let me tell you something, Jack. Uh-oh. This, along with desegregating the, the school, really pissed off the fundamentalist Christians including Carmen and especially Tim LaHaye. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. <laughs> so when people start saying that the birth of the Christian right was because of Roe versus Wade, if they start saying that the real reason the Christian right is together is because of abortion, it is not. It is because of the, segre- the desegregation of schools and taking out of prayer in the in in school, forcing kids to pray. I thought it was the Christian Democrats, and then the party switch happened. That was a stupid joke. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Southern strategy. I'm sorry. Like I'm. No, like, was yeah, my brain went. My joke. my brain went somewhere else on that. Yeah. <laughs> I was bad. like, wait, what? <laughs> but uh, like dumb joke. Jesus. Well, hey, basically said, Where? "Fuck you to, to the godless Supreme Court." and built his own Christian school system with two high schools and then built a college, Christian Heritage College. So if you went to a shitty-ass private school during the 80s and 90s, this is one of the guys who started mainstreaming that. Can you imagine that curriculum? The Godless Communist 101. I told you guys the story about when they talked about communism in, in my Bible class at school. And I got sent out because I corrected the teacher because he was calling them the, he was calling them the Burgios. It's bourgeoisie. Get a writer pay the price. Come on. He was like, no, I'm pretty sure it's Burgios. Look how it's spelled. And I I ended up getting sent to the principal's office that day and (sighs) got to meet Mr. Paddle. Yeah, that's somebody who never did any did any history uh, lessons on the Russian Revolution or anything. Um, oh, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But I got hit for it. I got hit for being right. Rightfully so. Well, you questioned yeah. authority. <laughs> when will I learn? Good Lord. Um, I didn't go into this, but the John First Society shooting star crashed down to earth after the 1964 failed election campaign of Barry Goldwater. Goldwater had one of the worst losses in presidential history. He only got 38.5% of the vote compared to Lyndon Johnson, 61%. He was, uh, he only had won six states, five of them being from the South, of course. Uh, the JBS backed Goldwater and became a laughingstock after the loss. Um, they kind of shrunk back to the background. Um, they were considered too extreme to succeed in the United uh, American politics. Too bad they weren't living in 2020. Um, I only bring this up because I, ha- I have no doubt that the LaHaye's JBS connection in his future political work, that he supported Goldwater and did election work for him in California as well. But I have no documentation on that. Barry Goldwater would be the first 
national step of the far right into modern politics, uh, yeah. which well, would lead you know, to. I know what. No, I was going to you when you. I, there, I, there was a lag there. I'm sorry. <laughs> when you said you, you didn't have any paperwork or anything, I was like, he, there's no pro- evidence that he's ever, you know, done anything in secrecy or been, you know, a shadow partner of anything. <laughs> um, but this would, Goldwater would lead to Reagan, to Bush, and then to Trump. This has all been a process. Uh, the work has been done by the NAM, JBS, and other organizations. Um, and now, they're, now their work is starting to show some fruit. The JBS and the Robert Welch found in Timothy LeHaye what the NAM couldn't get from Fifield and what they couldn't get from Billy Graham. They would get someone so debased from biblical Christianity who was willing to work in the background. LeHaye built his church school and name through the 1960s and early 70s. In, this, this is a funny story I came across while researching this, and I just found it two days ago. In 1967, a young couple came to LaHaye San Diego Church. They were just married. Sue and Mike Warnke met with the LaHaye's. What? Mike Warnke went about giving Tim LaHaye's Tim LaHaye his background as a Satanist, former Satanist. Sorry. Warnke writes about this in his 1972 bestseller, The Satan Seller. In that book, Warnke tells the story of how he told LaHaye about the Illuminati. In the, 19, in the 1992 expose book about Warnke, Selling Satan, authors John Trott and Mike Herdenstein interviewed LaHaye, who had a different story that seemed more legitimate. Not that I want to believe oh, this fucker anyway. This but LaHaye, LaHaye puts it, the conversation really, quote, the conversation wasn't like he put it in the book. I brought up the term Illuminati first. I had been reading a book called Pawns in the Game, and I tried testing him to see if he really knew anything about it. He didn't seem to have ever heard the word before. Oh, shit. So okay. just, to, just to think if someone as influential and as big as LaHaye was, he could have damaged some of Warnke's credibility, and who knows what have happened to the satanic panic. Before we move maybe on. Maybe it wouldn't have happened. Maybe. Right. It's important that we talk about the book that LaHaye cites, Pawns in the Game. I have no doubt that LaHaye read this book, was inspired by this book, maybe took some of the ideas. Right. Or maybe it was even the basis for a future Illuminati obsession. But Pawns in the Game, from the book Selling Satan Again, the author William Guy Carr, Pawns in the Game, 1958, claimed that all history should be seen through the lens of an Illuminati conspiracy orchestrated by the devil himself through a small band of human agents. Carr well, offered a step- human agents and not dolphins. Uh, Carr offered a step-by-step history of the Jewish plotters, which was, which, was, which was most unflattering. His history explained that Christ was crucified by the Illuminati who use false priests and elders in their pay. Referring to them as the synagogue of Satan, Carr also suggests that Hitler was an innocent victim of the Illuminati. Oh, God. Carr also lent credence to the rapidly anti-Semitic, alleged, allegedly Illuminati-authored Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, 
The document details the plan in which a small group of international financiers have used and still use communism, Zionism, and all other agencies that they control to further their own totalitarian ambitions. So this is the type of material that the great Timothy LaHaye is consuming. And He's using just marinating in. Yep. Yeah. Why is it always why is it always buried in the middle that they think that Hitler was innocent? Like they like just start with that because it it would it would literally just help so many people to just avoid your shit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because that's you gotta, why you can't that's, go with the most outrageous they... statement up front because then you'll turn it off. You got to be right. soothed yeah. in with. 9 11 yeah. doesn't make sense and it's a conspiracy. It's got to be a conspiracy because it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, let's look at this and then you down the road. Because... Jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams, yes. does. Right. Which is even funnier because I remember in fucking middle school, creative writing 101 is you got to hook them in with an interesting topic. I mean, that's pretty fucking interesting. <laughs> so, we're that that is the start. We're this is the start of kind of the history that we're going to go through of LaHaye now that we've gone over the background and how this, he was built up um, on April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King was assassinated by the United States government. I believe that fully. Yeah, I do too. Um, 100%. The, the country mourned and expressed their anger, but sadly some of the country was thrilled. A few days later on March 7th or uh, yeah, April 7th, Christian college, Wheaton college, hosted a memorial and a morning service for Martin Luther King Jr. More than a thousand people attended. In San Diego, Tim LaHaye got, a, got wind of what Wheaton did. And on May 23rd, less than two months since MLK's murder and less than two weeks from the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, he sent a letter to the president of Wheaton College. Now, that, this letter is not so much a surprise because the evangelical community wasn't exactly in love with MLK. Right. Many evangelical leaders saw this civil rights movement, not just a communist take, takeover, but the violation of God's law and order. The hate seemed to be falling in the middle, and it's just further confirmation of the type of man that we were dealing with. Hmm. Donovan, would you like to read that letter? Do you have it? I do. I do. And I would, I would love, love to read this, to read this letter. letter. Dear Sir, Recently, this report came into my hands, and I find it very difficult to believe. It seems incredible that a Christian college could participate in honoring an outright theological black liberal heretic whose nonviolent demonstrations have resulted in the deaths of 17 very fine people. As a pastor, I am asked every year by parents and prospective students to express my sentiments of Wheaton College. In all fairness, I would like to know if this article accurately describes the fact. I honestly would be quite delighted if you could say no, because, like, what the fuck that's mean. <laughs> what a piece of shit. I mean, you're yeah. a fucking memorial service. I would be delighted if you say no. <laughs> what the fuck? Hey, Mr. LaHaye, could you tell me how you feel about um, um, Martin Luther King Day? Do you think it should be a holiday? I fucking hate it. Should it be a holiday, we should all have to work more. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the only way to be a real Christian American, right? This is bullshit. <laughs> that's so fucking mean, dude. That guy is so fucked. <laughs> In 1972, LaHaye co-founded the Institute for Creation Research. Do you guys have any clue what that could be about? Uh, probably evolution and how it's real. <laughs> Something that um, my dad definitely probably believed in. Oh, my God. Your dad probably got the <laughs> newsletter. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I hate to cite it. But Wikipedia puts it bluntly. The Institute for Creation Research, or ICR, is a creation, creationist apologetics institution in Dallas, Texas, that specializes in media promotion of pseudoscientific creation science and interpretation of the Genesis creation narrative as a historical event. The <sighs> ICR adopts the Bible as an inerrant and literal document of scientific and historical fact, as well as religious and moral truths, and espouses a young earth creationist worldview. Oh my god. Just because. There's no reason. Just because. Just because. (laughs) I said so. So part part of their job, the ICR, um, is to write studies and papers that just reaffirm their bias. Uh, then that allows others to cite them as experts, like, let's say, a politician or a school board member trying to make a case with that bullshit. This is fucking funny as hell, man. I mean, it's not. It's not. It's really not. But it is. <laughs> they'll, they'll use the Bible as like a site, a source. And like, then Mark Rubio will go on TV and say some bullshit according to scientific analysis. Because you're using an institute that does that, prop- right. that's using propaganda. It's it's like uh, the basis of that whole movie, Accepted, where they make the fake college, and they're all like, "We're going to college." <laughs> um, oh, also, in, also in 1972, Congress passed a constitutional amendment called the Equal Rights Amendment, or the ERA. Donovan, do you have that in front of you? Equality of rights under the law should not be denied or bridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Section 2. The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions provisions of this article. Section 3. This amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. So Congress tried, this isn't the first time that they tried to pass this amendment. Um, and each time it kept getting beaten down by the more conservative Wait. people. Um, they, uh, fuck. Tim LaHaye's uh, wife certainly hates it. Oh, yeah. You want to explain that to us, why she hates it? Um, hold on, let me pull up that page. Yeah, I I mean, you sent us a text that said you understood and you related. Shut up. You dick. That was a slow burn. (laughs) I thought you meant I I sent a text. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Said something about Um, I'm going back to church. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's me. I'm going. They, uh, the, what is it that concerned women of America? 
of America yeah. um, has been working since 1978 to educate women about the threats presented by the so-called Equal Rights Amendment. More than 1,200 uh, have attended. It was the beginning of what would be the largest public policy organization for women in the nation, which is sad. Yes, um, very sad. Yeah. Um, so they think that evil feminists are trying to um, make them not be housewives. Yeah. Um, and so they're fighting against it. Yeah, because you're ruining yeah. the the Christian family, the nuclear family or yeah. whatever, how they, however they want to put it. Um, right. The ERA was a bad policy then and is still a bad policy today. It's why the American people rejected it. Fe feminists seek to use it to force their radical pro-abortion policies on the country, like finally getting our tax dollars to pay for abortions up to the moment of birth. The big abortion businesses like NARAL and Planned Parenthood have long argued that the ERA at state level guaranteed the right to tax-funded abortions, taxpayer-funded abortions. Mm -hmm. The ERA would codify re reproductive rights in the Constitution. Um, so their argument is that the ERA would codify reproductive rights in the Constitution and greatly support low-income women who are mm -hmm. the first to lose access to affordable birth control. Um, mm -hmm. Today, we know that the ERA would even be worse for women, giving given the monumental fight in which we are engaged in to protect women's sports. Proponents of the ERA want to redefine the word sex uh, in federal law, opening the door for men who identify as women to hijack women's rights. Is this the one you're, you're reading something that was done recently? Yeah. Yeah, this is right now. This yeah, is they're current. Still around. No, no, I know. I figured it was. I just didn't know that what you were reading was something recent because all the stuff I was finding was old stuff. So I wasn't sure this was recent until. Wow. Wow. Yeah, they believe they're leading the fight to preserve the intrinsic and unique value yeah. of every woman. We won yeah, back and, then and we will do so again. And and also to also it was a they were attacking uh, homosexuals. Oh, yeah. She really hates the gays. Yes, her, so does her husband. Um, um, yeah, Beverly, Beverly LaHaye lost her shit uh, when Coors, the brewery, mm -hmm. uh, first allowed um, homosexual employees to put their partners on their health insurance. Mm. I mean, like, you know, lost her damn mind. Do you know why she lost her damn mind, though? Because gay people shouldn't that? have health care. Because she had uh, done something to support Coors, some I can't remember what. Yes, we are going to get into that next episode. Oh boy, I can't wait to find out why the fuck they were involved with Coors. Oh <laughs> God, Coors is evil. Well, yeah, they make Shocker. beer. Yeah, no, they are favorite any... beer brand. Oh Jesus, you might as well <laughs> be goose stepping around it. with that in your mouth. Um... <laughs> So the Equal Rights Amendment gets passed, or doesn't get passed. It gets passed by Congress, but it's got to get ratified by the states. Um, and mm -hmm. I believe it came up two, two or three states short, but I could be wrong about that. But it was, it was very, it was a very low amount. Close. Um, and uh, Beverly LaHaye, also Tim LaHaye, and a Phyllis, Phyllis Shifley, um, yeah. they all did their damnedest to try to get this not to get passed. 
Um, it was an was... attack on women. It was an attack on homosexuals and LGBTQ community. Um, and now it's an when attack was... on trans. Right. And that's, I, I, that's fucking crazy. I didn't know it was still as, as like big as it was then. That's not, I didn't know that. It's when still I, I... the largest women's advocacy, advocacy group in America, which is yeah, depressing crazy. as shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. When I was looking up, uh, the amendment thing, uh, well, I mean the amendment thing, <laughs> the amendment when it went into place and everything, and when they were fighting it, uh, I found this article from the Washington Post from like '87, and it was like a rally that they were holding. And it's funny because that other, uh, the other woman that was doing it, Phyllis, she was holding a rally across the street from where they were holding theirs, and she's been she was doing it for like thir- like 20 to 30 years longer or something, but she couldn't get a hold of the president to come to speak to hers, but uh, Beverly could get Reagan to come to hers. And they ask her about it, like, "Are you bitter?" She's like, "No, it's okay. I got, I got some secretary coming." And she was so fucking pissed. <laughs> I mean, so fucking, fucking funny. funny. Uh, Tim LaHaye had everything to do with that. He was, uh, we'll get into it right. uh, later, but he was connected to Reagan, which is what I was reading. That was fucking crazy. He, he was basically like. Ronald Reagan was just revving those women up when he went and talked to them, dude. He's just sitting there. He's like, "You're all so wonderful." Ooh. <laughs> it's so fucking creepy. He's just—it's the worst. And they're all—it's saying like, "All these women are standing and giving a round, a round of applause," and he's just basically just like, "Can I touch you?" <laughs> In 1976, LaHaye and his wife had their first big hit. In the literary world, even though he had been written for writing for a while, um, with his book about how good he fucks called The Act of Marriage. Oh, God. I was going to skip over this, but I think oh, we needed, a, I think we needed some good laughs. Um, and uh, also just to see how big of a piece of shit he is. Um, but this book came off like a weapon, like a prequel to purity culture. Like a pre-cum. Like a pre-cum to purity culture. <laughs> well, speaking of one in of art. the uh, one of the things that the problems in marriage that men have is called retarded ejaculation. Mm. Can Can you explain retarded ejaculation? To what us? is it called? Retarded ejaculation. They talk oh about it in God. the book. That sounds workshopped. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What, what is What is this uh, This type of ejaculation? It's where only a little comes out. It's all. It's where only a little comes out. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't drink enough milk. The, you know, a couple. I, hours I before. guess. I guess. Oh, oh, oh! Here comes the retarded ejaculation. Oh, oh! <laughs> it was just a little. Oh, it's it's the little part. It's the little bit. It's the pre-show. Well, then you, because. It's the Pixar short before Toy Story. <laughs> um, a big thing in the in this book, even though the updated quote unquote version that I read, I couldn't read the whole thing. I'm sorry. Um, every woman wants to be a homemaker. Uh, very explicit suggestions that women have no fewer than four to five children. Um, Oh, I'm taking notes. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, go yeah. Ahead. my wife. Danielle. Oral oral sex is to be avoided, even in marriage. For who? For who? 
for men and women. I'm done. Uh, the author states that uh, the clitoris uh, doesn't exist. may or may not have about the same number of nerve in- endings as the penis, uh, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. we actually know is it's about that, double. That checks out. Uh, that checks out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I can't even figure out how they'd know what the clitoris is because they don't they don't like any touching. It's just you have to have faith that it's there. <laughs> Pray for it. Pray for it. Um like Moses in the yeah. Red Sea. It, it <laughs> describes it's a burning bush. Nice. Nice. Uh it describes fervently and frequently that a woman should please her husband but it really very rarely says the same same thing about a husband pleasing his wife and um but it describes flat-chested overweight women flat-chested or overweight women as plain james um and and uses the word frigid like repeatedly like this Mm. this book is garbage um does it also use the word moist a lot yeah there's also a very uh i'm not gonna read it to you but there's a very um graphic anecdote about a rape on a wedding night it's really obviously sexual assault Mm -hmm. and the authors just dismiss it like oh well you know uh, bleeding after intercourse is they tell you to just get a tissue and work it out. Like, and there's nothing you could like, it, it's bad. That it's thing bleeds. Bad. What are you going to do? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, wow, that is, se- sexual dark. pain for the woman is something to just be endured. Um, deal with it. Like that's fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. It, it's, it's rough. That's why I couldn't finish it. I was just like, you know what? No. Yeah. Um, and then I read, um, a, I read a blog post and listened to part of a podcast by a Christian book review <laughs> and her stupid oh fucking blog is called to love, honor, and vacuum. If that gets you any sort of idea of what kind of shit she writes about even she was offended even yeah. she was offended by the book so i was yeah. like okay well I, it's not just my uh that reminds me of all those tiktok accounts that you see all the time now where it's like you know like those 20 something year old wives who are doing stuff like that and they're like quoting the bible while they're doing it and all the comments are just like are you okay yeah blink yeah. twice if you're not um right yeah there was uh some quotes i wanted to read from the book if i if i could yeah please do you have any quotes oh, chrissy just that one you sent us i can't i was trying okay. to i was trying to I, take I notes on them but honestly it was disgusting me so much that i was just like fuck this uh, okay i have some, i have some quotes well i from the village voice um this is they reviewed some of the book and talked about it uh they said um it's certainly the only book of your church library to include a chart to track your kegel process um good uh to know. good to know uh list um a man's sex drive can be relieved by o- by only by ejaculation mm-hmm. this can be achieved by one intercourse two masturbation three nocturnal emissions or four homosexuality 
Wait. Yeah, the, the four main principles of the book are, <laughs> are the husband and wife have needs oh that have sexual needs that oh. need to be fulfilled in marriage. And when a person marries, that person forfeits control of his or her body to his or her partner. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, um, to, both to... partners are forbidden to refuse meeting the other sexual needs. Hmm. Raping the great rape. Two two other quotes really quick. Um, She should be very careful not to put pressure on the testicles located in the scrotal sac, as this can be quite uncomfortable. For you, sir. I was about to say, I guess it depends on who you're asking, buddy. (laughs) And then uh, my favorite quote from, from just researching the book, I'm going to read it sometime because I cannot not read it. Um, once inside the husband, there should be a comma there. <laughs> Maybe there shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe there shouldn't. Did I stutter? I don't know if they pulled this quote directly from the book and just didn't add the comma, but there's another comma in here. They did it. Once on inside, <laughs> once inside, comma. The husband should try to remain motionless or he will ejaculate in a matter of seconds, abruptly terminating the lovemaking. It's not lovemaking if you're just laying on top of her. But or don't move. forcing it, right? Yeah, yeah. and you, she's not allowed to say no. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, wow. he's bragging about lasting three seconds. Right. Well, that's, oh my yeah. God. Some of the uh, problems uh, that they talk about for, um, you know, common causes for male impotency. This is not limited to, this is not a limited list or uh, it's not a full list, but some of them are unreasonable expectations. Mm. Um, Um, I'm reading, I I might be reading. Weak vagina. a little what? bit, but it mm-hmm. seems to be that Beverly LaHaye might have liked you ha- have her titties upside down and get milked. Could be. Because one of the things that it tells you in the book is to milk the upside down udders of, of feminine pleasure. Yeah, that's really specific. <laughs> this works for me. She loved it when I do this. I say, climb up there, baby. So, yeah. all right. But yeah, they when they talk about weak vagina, that's why um, that's why the they're kegels. so the kegels. And then yeah. uh, other other problems for men and their impotency mm-hmm. are a nagging wife, mm-hmm. a passive wife, wife, mm-hmm. feminine dominance, premature mm. ejaculation, and retarded ejaculation. I don't know how you can be impotent if you're ejaculating, but I, you know, it doesn't have to make sense. Maybe it's that retarded ejaculation that is impotence. I, I don't know. understand what any there's of that is. Like, there's some there's probably some impotent listeners that are pissed right now. They're like, just because my dick don't get hard don't mean I can't come. <laughs> I guess. Uh, um, I don't guess. put that on me. I got enough stress, goddammit. <laughs> uh moving on from that book, uh in the late 70s, LaHaye started ramping up his culture war as well as his conspiracy war on the gays 
Yeah. They were always in the shadows waiting to whack their gay dicks on your children's straight foreheads, forever making them hungry for cock. In 1978, LaHaye wrote the book, The Unhappy Gays, or what has been since renamed What Everyone Should Know About Homosexuality. That, I don't know if I'm going to read was, all these quotes. That was okay. Look, we got to pause for a second because their titles are usually fucking stupid. That's a pretty goddamn punny title. The unhappy, the unhappy gaze. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I'm, I just had to give him credit for the title at least because it, the whole thing's shitty. I hate it, obviously. <laughs> so I'm going to quote some of these books. Uh, I want to apologize off the top. Um, and uh, just a trigger warning if you want to fast forward a couple seconds. This, this is whole be bad. episode is a fucking trigger warning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, homosexuals, as is quote, homosexuals are regularly disinterested in gainful employment. Their interest is sex, not work. Besides, when a man overindulges his sex glands, he doesn't have much energy left. Sounds like spoken from experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting fucked in the ass, man. I don't have any, no energy I left. Know. I know I'm tired after I touch a man. (laughs) (laughs) Most homosexuals are the best liars you will ever meet. Their techniques of distortion or evasions are most impeccable. They have learned the art of deception so well that they can look you straight in the eye and tell a barefaced lie while maintaining a look of complete innocence. Almost like a pastor. Yep. Many times they have outmaneuvered me. To this touch just... my dick. <laughs> oh, you outsmarted me again. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. Oh, you're the Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. This, this just screams to me. This is me. I am gay and I only know of my experience. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I can't go to my job because I'm too busy being gay. Right. I lie to your face every day. (laughs) Many such parents would prefer the death of their child to adopting the unhappy wretchedness of homosexuality. Fuck you forever for that. Yeah. Um, Wow. Wow. I would never, ever prefer a dead child. Yeah. Um, I would adopt a gay child or a child from gay parents or I don't fucking know. Right. <sighs> okay. If they, oh, this is a good one. If they, homosexuals, wish to teach school, they have three alternatives. One, stop being homosexual, and that's their choice. That's it. Yep. That's like, that's <laughs> like Buzz from Alone. A, <laughs> two, C. <laughs> um, and last two quotes a homosexuality lenient society will cause an increase in crimes and sadistic murders and this was it that was in the time of serial killers too so this is right in the golden age of serial killers um jesus and then last one and this is not projection at all of course homosexuality let me start that over of course homosexuals are often super sensitive and suspicious (laughs) What? <laughs> who's who's, of, who's of you, it is me it is me i am homosexuals <laughs> who's scared of dicks coming out everywhere and like 
like what like you're the one who's scared of everything um anyway it sure would be really bad if that happened right now <laughs> super simple don't do it <laughs> i need this like a cock in the ass <laughs> and i really need this <laughs> i really need this <laughs> this one's for me <laughs> oh my god this guy is he's, he's a fucking uh, piece it of really shit. wouldn't this surprise is horrible. me yeah yeah um, in 1977, LaHaye wrote another fascinating book called Understanding the Male Temperament. He oh. continues with his homophobia. A large percentage, quote, a large percentage of women and children's attire is designed by homosexuals who can hardly be expected to highlight the difference between the sexes. Because the mother is so feminine, what she considers darling or cute may be really harmful to a boy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That sounds uh, kind of like today. Uh, he has some other notes on how Wait, to so have Wait, so is he good... saying all children's clothes are feminine too then, right? Basically. Like most of the has he not seen feminine. those pictures of Teddy Roosevelt in like a dress? That, Probably like, not. Teddy Roosevelt, as a kid, like with the curly hair, like all kids' clothes were just white so you could bleach them back in the day. Yeah, now they're overly gendered and weird. Those pants are too tight on that boy. I'm getting exactly it hard on. Right. Those are women's pants, aren't they? On that little kid. Look at them. That's so weird. I don't even like saying that as a joke. Can we move on? Thanks. Um, <laughs> he has some notes on how to have a good marriage, you guys. Quote, have you ever imagined what it would be like to be placed in submission to another human being on a 24-hour basis, 365 days a year for life? Oh. This is what a God, this is exactly what God demands of your wife. Whoa. Nope. Whoa. Whoa. Your wife is that your is slave. A, that is a hot take. <laughs> what the fuck? Wow, that is definitely just not burying the lead. Yeah. Um, before we move on the timeline, it's important to establish use of terminology and where we will progress. Uh, like I said before, uh, we, we started with socialists and communists. And now since the NAM and the JBS, LaHaye has been introducing a new word around this time. And that is the word humanist. Have you guys That's heard right. that word? Yeah. yeah. Secular yes. humanism is going to kill us all. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 So he is one it's of the guys like, that had. Yep. I haven't heard this word, that word in years. That's wow. Yeah, um, I heard this term a lot growing up, but uh, yeah. it's since morphed and in, morphed into different terms. But uh, it's still there, secular humanist. Uh, but it's uh, everything that is wrong with society rolled up into one word. They're coming to get you either way. Humanism, Willahay said, simply defined, humanism is man's attempt to solve his problems independently of God. Since moral what? conditions have been wor become worse and worse in direct proportion to humanity's or humanism's influence which has moved our country from a biblical-based society to a moral democratic society during the last 40 years one mm -hmm. would think that humanists would realize the futility of their position to the contrary their treacherous refuse to face the reality of their failures blaming them instead on traditional religion or ignorance, or capitalism, or religious superstitions. I like that little uh, democratic 
society. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I remember he, from the pulpit them saying, humanism is man's attempt to solve problems in the yep. absence of God. Yep. Yep. I remember um, that too. They do not like democracy. Whoa. I'm going to say, I'm going to read another quote from Tim LaHaye. It is Humanists all very tied sim- together. What the fuck? <laughs> it is all very simple. If you face the fact that we are being controlled by a small but very influential cadre of committed humanists who are determined to turn traditionally moral-minded Americans into an amoral humanist country. Oh, they don't call it humanists. They label it democracy. But they mean humanism in Uh, all its aesthetic amoral depravity. Man, oh man. Oh my God. This is so much like it's like you're channeling the pastor from my childhood. Yeah, right. Same. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uncomfortable. It is. I, it's, it's even. It's 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 so weird too because it's like you're having the flashback of hearing this, but now you obviously understand it, and you're like, "How is this okay? What the fuck?" I remember hearing that term all the time, and it's it's. Uh, the fact that he's putting so much political language into it and just, mm-hmm. is very concerning. And literally being mean, literally being like, I'm coding this. Hey, I'm coding this. Do you get the message? <laughs> yes. Democracy yeah. is wrong because people are becoming humanists and they're going to vote for the things that and to be are humanists. humanists. And that, and to do that is to be anti God. Yes. Um, that is fucking wow. Spoiler alert! I'm now a secular humanist. <laughs> I'm calling the FBI. She's definitely Antifa. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I feel like Carmen could have written a song around these these quotes. Um, I feel like he he was. The, oh my god. Ah, this it's just and it's also it. It's another thing, like I, I talked about last time, where it's like, it's just those tools that are still used today with the fucking coding and shit, like wokeness. You know what they mean when they mean wokeness? They mean anti-God. You know, it's just... Yeah, Woke so is secular stupid. humanism. Yep. yep. That's all it is, exactly just a different it word. Yep. Trans, trans kids are secular humanists. Just different so word. Sickening. So fucking... Um, But getting back to historical timeline across the country, and we're almost done here uh, for this episode. Across the country in Dade County, Florida, a battle against homosexuals was boiling over. I I live there. Oh, cool. 19, uh, I believe this is 1978. I didn't live there then. A a recent (laughs) ordinance had... had... Did one of your parents? You might have. (laughs) No, we grew up in California. Never mind. (laughs) A recent ordinance had passed that made it illegal to discriminate against someone based on their sexual orientation. That's good. Mm -hmm. Former former beauty queen and singer Anita Bryant took it on herself to run a crusade against what she called human garbage and repealed the act. She named her coalition Save Our Children. The ordinance was repealed by a vote of 69% to 31%. That's the same year Florida made it illegal for gay couples to adopt. The repealed ordinance remained in place until 1998 
and the adoption law stayed in the place until 2008. Holy shit. Don't be surprised if they're put back in the law sometime soon. Wow. This made Bryant a national punchline and punching bag on in the secular world. Uh, she was fit into jokes on movie on the movie Airplane. Uh, her organization was used in Howard the, the Howard the Duck comics. She was referenced in jokes on SNL, The Golden Girls, The Gong Show, Soap, and Designing Women. David Allen Cohen wrote a song called Fuck Anita Bryant. And the dead, Ke- the dead Kennedys referenced her on the song Moral Majority, where they said, where Jelly Biafra wrote, Ram it up your, <laughs> ram it up your cunt, Anita, because God must be dead if you're alive. The, the wow. homosexual agenda, also, no, also known as letting people live their lives with the rights of everyone else, was spreading rapidly across the country. The new battleground was the new, was the new Sodom and Gomorrah, and that is California. In 1978, LaHaye started a political advocacy group called Californians for Biblical Truth to put, push something called Proposition 6. Proposition 6 of the Briggs Initiative was a bill to fire and to ban gays and lesbians from being public school teachers. Bryant made her way to California. Could you even to help. know, though? Like, how could you tell if someone's gay? Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. Why? What are you asking? Why are you asking? <laughs> like, if my just... dick ends up in their hand, they're gay. <laughs> I said I can tell. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, Anita Bryant made her way to California to help push for it as well. CFB or California for Biblical Truth boasted a membership of ten thousand, or sorry, one thousand pastors and five hundred thousand church members. Jesus Christ! Harvey Milk was was famously the man to push back against Proposition Six. The proposition failed fifty-eight to forty-one on November seventh, nineteen seventy-eight. Harvey Milk was gunned down by disgruntled homophobic fellow politician Dan White just 20 days later. And just a few days later, after the news of Jones of the Jonestown massacre broke. Um, yeah, uh, he he helped push and, and push that back and fight against it. Uh, it did not pass, which is which is great. Um, when Harvey Milk was assassinated, uh, there were a lot of less than positive things that came out of the religious right community um Mm -hmm. uh the next person we're going to talk about really quick because we're done almost uh said that it was a um judgment from god so uh but a side note i looked into the group uh and one of the first things that popped up was an article about one of the pastors um of this group reverend edward rothenberger uh, and he was arrested in a pro- prostitution sting in 1983. Shocking. Um, yeah. Absolutely also, shocking. Was yeah. it a male prostitute? No, no, sadly enough, no. No, that um, actually is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's just as omitted. <laughs> but also in 1978, this time was happening, a fat fucking asshole walks into the story, and that is Jerry Falwell. And yeah. that's where we're going to leave it today. So how are you guys feeling after that me blabbering for way too long? 
No, man. You weren't blabbering. I don't for think too you long. blabbered for too long. I think this is good setup because you got to, you know, you got to under. It's, like we keep saying, you got to understand where all this crap comes mm-hmm. from that we were taught and Absolutely. taught, and then it's all just, right. you know. You got to figure out where rubbish. it comes from and everything so you can. Yeah. Yeah. Next episode is so going to. Worry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next episode is going to dive into deeper. Uh, in more harmful and crazier bullshit. Um, I each time I dive in to write more, I keep finding more, and yeah. it's it's really disgusting and really sick how far this guy's influence was that nobody knew about, and a lot of the stuff nobody knew about until after he had died in 2016. Um, so uh, crazy, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah so enjoy that it's it has a lot to do with too like with with what chrissy was saying where a lot of the shit you were saying is there's shit i haven't heard since i was a fucking kid and it was shit that i heard that you know we hear we heard a lot but i haven't heard it in a long fucking time and hearing it again is just really weird because now i understand it and now i i I understand it and it just it doesn't make any fucking sense how it was okay ever to begin with (laughs) and to have your kid just just indoctrinating your child with this shit is just so fucking crazy because you you don't think about it really until you think about it until it's put in your face again mm-hmm. yeah yeah like, he's very over he, he's right. very open with his hate and everything but uh he's gonna be he's gonna be stepping to the background in the next episode um which is that's when it gets really bad um but yeah uh yeah, anything else, guys? When are we talking about growing pains? Because I want to talk about boners. <laughs> we will talk about Kirk Cameron. We're going to get to him um, eventually. I also uh, just said I want to talk about boners, and that could be any one of these episodes, because these guys are <laughs> fucking freaks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like when my wife's tits are facing the ground, and I just walk up and just start milking them. You're right. I also want to know how the fuck he wrote these things when he has such a fucking, like, his wife was like pretty fucking independent it seems no no (laughs) she was completely in advocates complete submission yeah he wrote that book with her yeah she parried they wrote it together that's so fucking crazy to me wow yeah everything that she does and says she parrots or he he says and does he parrots um it seems like same thing with the organizational skills and everything um yeah it's very uh it's very very weird um how I didn't even know about her. Like, it's it's insane how influential these people were, and nobody knew about them. But uh, right. on a on a note, can you imagine like reading that book and then you have sex with your wife the next night, and you're like, "Don't don't move." Tim LaHaye says, "Don't move, don't move." Yeah, just hold still. Yeah, it's definitely never happened. <laughs> don't move! Don't move! <laughs> They're just reading the book while they're doing it. Uh, it's just, it's very, it, it, who the fuck talks like that? I mean. It's weird. If the whole situation's weird. I wouldn't be surprised if most of the time people are having sex, those couples, they're making the wife read it while they're doing it. <laughs> Fucking crazy, man. Are you reading your instruction manual? Yeah. yeah there I is see... a wedding night in step by step and it's horrible. Oh, my God. oh, oh nice. My God. I wonder how many positions you can do. 
Just the one. <laughs> just the one. That's all you need. The godly, <laughs> the godly one. Yeah. Yes. So I'm gonna go against the wall and spread my arms out like I'm on a cross, and you're gonna back into me. <laughs> According to the book, the only uh, acceptable position is uh, the reverse cowgirl. Yes. Yes. So that you can right. milk her boobies upside down. Yep. But if you if you turn the book over and you flip through it a certain way, there's a secret page about this position you can do. It's called the Spear of Truth, where you play Jesus and you get pegged really hard. <laughs> <laughs> that comma was left out of there on purpose. Because of that secret page. Yeah, yeah. You gotta flip it over. <laughs> it's it's the back back masking of books. Yeah, you take that page and you just squirt some lemon juice over it and then you take a lighter. I've seen that national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I found the clitoris. <laughs> Holy shit, it's real. It's like God. <laughs> I've got to go to Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> the Liberty Bell is the clitoris of the United States. <laughs> Peace be with ring you it. guys. Yeah. Peace um, be with you. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, you can follow me. Sorry, we got to do the intro exit uh, before you guys say what you got to say. Uh, you oh, can follow me. Make it oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, you tried to make it seamless and it didn't work. Yeah, um, god damn it. <laughs> you, can, you can follow me at ChazXCure or 17 underscore seconds. You can listen to my other podcast, The Holy Hour, where Gavin and I talk all things cure related. That's the band The Cure. Um, thank you to Iron Sheik for the intro and outro song. Uh, if you want to follow us on uh, Instagram or uh, TikTok, it's at XCOMPOD. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at XCOMPOD at gmail.com. Donovan, you have your other podcast eventually? I do. It is called Laughing With You, Not At You. It is a podcast I do with my wife where we talk about our mental health struggles and parenting, and we are recording an episode today. Yay! It's hey, cool. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So check that out if you can. <laughs> and Chrissy, you want everybody to read The Act of Marriage? Yeah. If you want to uh, want some really good tips on what not to do, read The Act of Marriage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. There's got to be a whole chapter on how to be gay and suck dick. There's a whole There's, a, there's one chapter called on... For the Women. Oh, oh is it really? Is it like two sentences? It says, ha ha, got you, bitch. <laughs> it, it talks about if you're good and have sex with your husband uh, every time he wants to, that even ugly, flat-chested women can have a good marriage. <clears throat> uh, a, wow. That checks right. out. I thought I was going to say something like, for a little treat, you could put your pinky in his butthole. <laughs> <laughs> I think two he doesn't in the pink like... and one in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he he doesn't like flat-chested women because they remind him of men, which he aggressively right. wants to fuck. Right. Well, so and they can't no upside down milk their milkers. Can't. <laughs> right. And if there's no boobs, he expects a penis, and he's like, "I didn't sign up for this." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough with that. Um, go ahead. <laughs> That's more well, now. I don't want to. Yeah, now I don't want to. <laughs> now I feel like it's a dance monkey. <laughs> Peace be with Peace you. Peace be with you. And oh, with no. you, Donovan. <laughs> but not with any yeah. of the LaHaye's. 
And, and everybody say, yeah, hopefully they die of gonorrhea and rotten health. Um, <laughs> all right. Hey, everybody say. All right, guys. Bye. I'm in. I like my looks. I like my personality. Almost every second that I'm awake, but maybe the reason I'd rather.